1: Good morning, how's everyone doing? Good, grab your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. I'm honored to be here, Uh, honored to be uh, part of a series on the subject of Christology. Uh, And today I want to focus on the kingship of Christ. Uh, What does that mean, that he is our king? And what is the nature of his kingdom? And so just to set the background, Jesus here in John 18 has already been arrested and been tried before the Jewish high priest with many trumped up charges. And so the Jewish leaders want Jesus dead. And uh, they do not have the right uh, for, to do capital punishment. Uh, only the Roman government does. And so they bring him before Pontius Pilate. And they know that Pilate, uh, his hand won't be moved uh, to execute Jesus if, if the, trump, the charges are only that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah or the Son of God. And so what they do is they come with the charge that Jesus makes himself out to be a king, that he is taking the place of Caesar, that he is an insurrectionist. And so they're hoping to force Pilate's hand. And so let's jump in here in John 18 and, and verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? There's a couple of things I want us to highlight out of this text. First of all, I want us all to see that Jesus is the promised king. Pilate says, so you're a king? And Jesus says, you say I'm a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. Notice, by the way, the unique way that Jesus describes his birth. He describes it as his coming into the world and Christ's birth is very unique obviously it's not when he came into creation uh, for he has always existed but his birth is his incarnation his coming into the world and Jesus being equal with God emptied himself and came in the form of a bond servant And so the birth of Christ was a coming of one who is from eternity past. Micah 5 verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So I want us to first marvel that Jesus is this promised king that God had promised ages ago. And you think of the fact that God himself has always been seen as king, sovereign over his creation, but in a unique personal way, he was king to his chosen people, Israel. And that's what made Israel unique, that they didn't have a human king, they had God as their king, but yet Israel, in 1 Samuel 8, we find they reject God as king, they asked Samuel to make them a, a human king, give them a human king so that they can be like all the other nations. And so God allows them to have this human king that they choose, Saul, and Saul ends up becoming corrupted and eventually uh, the kingdom is torn from him. And in 1 Samuel 16, God tells Samuel not to worry because he's chosen for himself a king, a king who has a heart after him, and that's David, who is anointed, this young shepherd boy, anointed to be the next king. And it's to this David That the Davidic Covenant comes in 2 Samuel 7. That God promises that from one of David's future offspring, uh, he will rise up a king and he will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. But friends, the rest of the history of Israel is littered with kings who did not obey God and led the nation into ruin and even into exile. And so if you will keep your finger here and turn with me to Isaiah chapter nine, because I want you to see how Jesus was prophesied, and he is this promised king. In Isaiah nine, uh, the setting is again, another one of these kings that was disobedient King Ahaz. He's made an alliance with a foreign king and not trusted in the Lord. And so He's led the people into darkness. And so in Isaiah nine, the prophet says this, verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. Jump to verse four. The yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So, their darkness, friends, will turn to light and their gloom to joy and their oppression and warfare to peace and righteousness. How? Because God has promised a child who would be a king, who would come from the line of David, whose throne would be established forever. Now, don't miss what is the nature of this king? This king is one who is, a child is born, he's from human parentage, but a son is given. He's from divine origin. In fact, this child is referred to as the mighty God himself. And so Jesus is this prophesied God-man, fully God, fully man, and this promised king. And friends, only a king who is fully God and fully man could bring us both righteousness and peace. Righteousness to us and peace with God. And why? Because, why is this humanity important? Because Jesus can, uh, because he was 100% fully human, uh, he, he can fully identify with us. And first of all, we have a savior, friends, who understands what we go through, our struggles, both physical, emotional, even mental struggles. He's familiar with our suffering and temptation. As Hebrews 4 says, that we have a high priest who is is able to sympathize with our weakness. This is so crucial for me in pastoral ministry when I deal with people of families, even this past year, who lost a son, to be able to talk to them about a God who understands that kind of a hurt, who has lost his son, who's laid his son down, a God who is familiar with pain. And man, it's not only that, but he can be our representative in obedience. Romans 5 says, just as uh, sin has spread through one man, through one man's obedience, righteousness spreads to all. Jesus had to be made human in order to be my representative and to obey in my place. But then also in order for him to be an acceptable, suitable sacrifice. Hebrews 2 says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So Jesus had to have come in human form, tempted in every way, yet without sin, so that he would be a suitable sacrifice to pay for my sins. But yet he had to be fully God. Because only one who is infinite could bear the full weight of sin. And only one who is fully God could be a mediator between sinful man and holy God. And so Jesus is, and I want us to marvel at this, the prophesied, the long-promised God-man who would be king and bring us righteousness and peace. But then, friends, where I want us to move to back in John 18 now is to the pattern of the kingdom. Not only does he declare himself to be this promised king, but the pattern of his kingdom. He says in John 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And this is a mystery. We know, uh, you've studied scripture, it's a mystery, this mystery of the kingdom that confused many of Jesus's hearers, even his followers for a long time didn't understand this, Uh, that his kingdom was not a political earthly one that needed to be one with the sword. And this is why when Peter chopped off the Roman soldier's ear, right, Jesus tells him to put away your sword, Okay. And so he says, I could call on 12 legions of angels if I wanted to, to rescue me. Throughout his ministry, people wanted to make Jesus king and he would withdraw himself. See, the Jews thought the coming king would be an earthly, conquering ruler who would drive out Rome and end their political oppression. But this is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. Listen to this definition. The kingdom is primarily the dynamic reign or kingly rule of God and derivatively the sphere in which the rule is experienced. In biblical idiom, the kingdom is not identified with its subjects. It is primarily the rule of God. This is why Jesus comes and says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom is advancing, friends, where people come into obedience to Christ as their king. And obey his ways over and against the world's ways. And so this is why Jesus in Luke 17 says when he was asked about the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say look here it is or there for behold the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So friends Jesus come to usher in a spiritual kingdom. Where his reign spreads as hearts turn to obedience to Christ. So who is the enemy that he's coming to vanquish? Not a political enemy, but a spiritual one. The enemy is the enemy of God, the God of this world who is blinding the minds of unbelievers. The God, as Ephesians 2 says, of this world, little g God, that we follow just like the rest of the world, that we were enslaved to. And friend, hear me, not only is his kingdom not of this world, not only is his enemy not a political one, but a spiritual one, but then understand that the nature of his victory is different than the world and so he says if my kingdom were of this world my disciples would take up the sword and fight but what he's testifying is the way he is going to usher in the kingdom the way he is going to vanquish the enemy and secure his victory is not by taking up the sword but by laying down his life And this is what the people did not understand, and this is what we've got to understand as his subjects. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said that, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer, die, and rise again. And again, Peter thinking, no way. The Messiah is not going to suffer, die, and rise again. He's going to conquer. And so he turns to Jesus and he says, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Again, the things of man is a political, a a military style of victory. And he's saying, no, 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 I've come to lay my life down. I'll never forget a good friend of mine. uh, Some of you may know who he is, Billy Foote, who uh, as a musician, written some great songs. He said he was leading a camp once. When a student came up to him, a sophomore in high school, and just said to him, hey, you know, it's interesting. Uh, and I'm listening to you. He says, you know, most kings in this world, they send their subjects out to fight and die for them. But Jesus is the only king I've ever heard of that he himself goes and dies and lays his life down for his subjects. And Billy Foot said, hold on, I got to write that down. And he wrote a song called, uh, I'm forgiven because you are forsaken. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? And it is truly amazing the way he wins his victory is not by fleeing, not by fighting, but by sacrifice. This is so important for us to understand. Uh, Farshid, my good friend in Iran. uh, Farshid, I've known him for seven years been part of his, uh, the, the training program that he's been a part of, and Farshid planted several churches in Tehran, in the capital of Iran. On December 26, 2010, he was heading to school with his daughter, dropping her off, and his cell phone blows up with text messages and phone calls from people in his house church network. They've come, they've arrested us, they, they're taking us to prison, and next thing you know, phone rings and it says, Home. And they say we're at your house you need to come. And he takes tr- gets off the phone and he realizes I can run. I can take off. And then all of a sudden God gives him a verse, John 10. I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. I'm not the hired hand who sees the wolf coming and flees. And he thinks, how in the world can I follow this Jesus and as an under shepherd flee and not lay my life down for my sheep? So he goes in and man, he calls and and, and I've listened to this voicemail that he left with the ministry uh, saying, pray for me as I go into suffering. He says it's so awesome that when he comes to his flat, they grabbed him, they threw him on the ground and they cuffed his hands behind him and they yelled out to their superiors, we found him, we caught him. And he's like, you didn't catch me. He's like, I came, I turned myself in. I laid myself down. It's like how Jesus, he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Of my own accord and friend if you're going to be a pastor you got to understand that the way the kingdom of God is going to continue to advance is not by fighting the world not by fleeing from the world but by laying your life down and sacrifice to follow Christ and so this is the pattern of the kingdom in interest of time I don't have really a a whole lot of time to hit the purpose because I want to get to my last point The purpose is given to us that his purpose in coming was to bear witness to the truth. For this purpose I was born, he says, and for this purpose I've come to bear witness to the truth. Again, as I said already, the people understood their political oppression, but they didn't, friends, understand their spiritual one. That they were spiritually oppressed. This is why Jesus says to the Jews in John 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answer, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so friend, he's saying, look, it doesn't matter who you belong to, that you can trace your lineage back to Abraham, Jews. Then what matters is that you are in sin and you need to be released from that, moved from being a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness, and that only happens through the perfect work of Christ. The truth that he reveals is, as Romans talks about in chapter three, a righteousness that comes from God, that's apart from the law. In other words, you can't do it, even though the law testifies of it. It's a righteousness that comes through the propitiation, the sacrifice that Christ makes, that God offers as a gift to be received by faith. This is what Christ has come to reveal to us. This is why Paul in Philippians 3, he says, man, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the works of of the law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Depends on faith in God. All right? And so this is the purpose, his truth that he wanted to reveal. And then what I want to land on, friends, okay, he is the promised king. We've seen the nature of his kingdom. It's not an earthly one, but a spiritual one, a heavenly one. We've seen the way he's going to win the victory isn't by the military sword but by laying his life down. So now what does it mean to be the people of the kingdom? And that's what I want to spend our time on. And if you're here you are studying to be a pastor or a minister or a missionary. You know the Word of God. I want to talk to you to your heart for the remaining time I have. Is Jesus truly your King? Because look, who are the people of the kingdom? Listen to what he says to Pilate. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So friends, hear me. First of all, hear me. As a fellow pastor, a fellow minister, a fellow servant of Christ, I say to you, examine your heart. The person who has Christ as king hears and responds to his voice longs to hear his voice and follow his voice. Jesus says in John 10, Truly I say to you, he who uh, uh, does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd. And listen to this, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. And when he has brought all his own out, He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you know the voice of the king? Do you distinguish his voice from the world? A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So this is what it looks like. So I ask, friend, is Jesus truly your king? Or is it a a degree or a ministry dream that you have for yourself? What I mean is this, does Jesus, friend, have free reign to call the shots in your life? Or are you more like Peter, who would say, this shall never happen. This isn't my plan for you or for me. In my testimony, I fought God so many times. And every time I fought him, I'm telling you, I added more heartache and more suffering to myself. God called me to leave my family. My father disowned me for being a Christian, he's a Muslim. And then the plan was for that I was gonna be a doctor and take over his practice, but God called me in the ministry and I ran from it. I ran and ran and ran. My sister writes me a letter and says, you're running from God. Do you not understand? You're, you're running from God. You're trying to please dad. And she quotes 1 John two seventeen: The Lord, uh, the world and its desire, excuse me, pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And it just sunk me. I took my dad to lunch, my hand was shaking. I said, I'm not gonna be a doctor. And he again disowned me. I've never had more peace in my life. I've never seen God move in my life. Isaiah chapter 30 says it this way, woe to my people who make plans for their life without consulting me. They go to Pharaoh and to Egypt to ask the advice of Pharaoh in Egypt. Therefore the advice of Pharaoh in Egypt shall turn to their shame. And so listen to me, friends, do you pursue the advice, the word of the Lord? Do you wait on the Lord, as Isaiah 30, 18 says, that he will give you a word in your ear saying, this is the way, turn to it. Not only do they hear the voice and follow it, but man, those who belong to the kingdom, I, listen, this hour, I'm coming to a close, they pursue the kingdom. And then I want to do two things with that, and then we'll come to a close. One, are you with me? Is Jesus really your king? This is what it looks like. You pursue the kingdom in your own personal life. You desire the kingdom to come into your own life. As Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these earthly needs that you have will be given to you, will be added to you. So everyone who belongs to Jesus as they're sub. as he's your subject he's your king you're going to submit to his voice you're going to believe in the deepest part of your heart that his commands lead to freedom and life and listen friend the prayer of your life will be our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven that means that means God let your will be done in my life first and foremost Let my life reflect the kingdom. This becomes the primary aim of your life. The kingdom of God taking shape and finding deep roots in your life and you pursue it more than anything in life because you desire to shine Christ to the world. Is this your heart? You say, well, how? How can I pursue the kingdom of God? How can I see the kingdom of God advance in my own personal life? Well, I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount at my church. And it's fascinating if you haven't studied that. In Matthew 4, 23, Jesus is going about proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then he calls his disciples on a little hilltop and they all come around him and others are listening. And he begins with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. You take time. And listen to me. The Beatitudes, you know that each one of them is attached with a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first one. The last one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the beginning and the last of the eight Beatitudes there are all saying theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So friends, here's what the Beatitudes are. Jesus is your king. Are you with me? What he's saying is this is what kingdom life looks like. This is how you are going to look different than the rest of the world. And so take time to say, Lord, let these Beatitudes become reality in my life and pursue them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who understand their spiritual poverty that come to God with empty hands, aren't coming with their works, boasting in what they've done. Blessed are those who mourn, in that context, mourn over their own sin, not with a worldly sorrow, but a godly sorrow, because they've offended God, and their heart is broken over it. Blessed are the meek. Man, the world laughs at that. The world says it's the powerful, the assertive, the one who pushes people out of the way that's going to get ahead. And Jesus saying, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, it's the meek. It's the meek. It's those who seek the interest of others before their own. It's those who count others more significant than themselves. Lord, let that be more true in my life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We are a people who've tasted of the Lord and know that he is what satisfies and not the junk food of the world. And by the way, 1 Peter 4 says that the world looks at us surprised when we don't follow them in the same flood of debauchery, and they mock us for it. And so listen, you should say, Lord, let me not run after what the world runs after. Blessed are the merciful, those who, listen, and by the way, that word doesn't mean just to show mercy to people who have hurt you. The merciful means those who move to meet the needs of those who are in need. The refugees, those who are suffering and hurting. Lord, let your kingdom come means let me have a heart that first moves to compassion. For those who are hurting, Blessed are the peacemakers, those who seek unity even with those who have wronged them, their enemies. Jesus says, if you only love people who love you, what more do you do than the tax collector? The world loves people who love them. He says, but you are to love those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you, right? And so this is is how we are to be. Blessed are those who are, are. persecuted for righteousness sake why would he say they rejoice and are glad because man we know that that means we belong to him and not the world Jesus says if you're of the world the world won't hate you it proves that I belong to him it proves that I'm becoming like him and that's where I want to get to my closing hear me friend if Jesus is your king you listen to his voice over the world and you follow him man you pursue the kingdom in your own personal life and then friend You have kingdom perspective in this world. You pursue the advancement of the kingdom in the world. That's what you are all about. You're committed to seeing the lives of men and women turn and repent and come into the obedience and the reign of the king. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. This is how Paul described his own ministry in Romans 1. He says that he, was, he received the apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. They went about, the apostles, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, that man, you have turned from God, that you are enslaved, and there is one who has come who through the victory of the cross can bring you from that sin, liberates you that's what we are to be about and listen have we forgotten that that's why we're here we are here to be ambassadors of the king and sometimes i wonder if the church in our culture truly thinks the kingdom of god is synonymous with the united states of america i love this country i'm an american but before i'm an american i'm a christian And Philippians 3 says that there are people who walk as enemies of the cross with minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So we go out not seeking our safety, not seeking our comfort first and foremost, but we go out saying, I am here to see the gospel advance in darkness. Jesus never promised a safe life to us. A couple of things happened this past year that make me wonder how we've forgotten why we're here, friends. We're here for a limited time to see the kingdom advance. Uh, good folks, not all of them, but there's a group in Farmersville, Texas, just north of where I am in Frisco, Texas, that they were up in arms because the Muslim Association of Collin County wanted to build a cemetery. And a pastor in that community actually stood up and said this, if they build this cemetery here, more Muslims will come. And literally, he said this, we've gotta put a stop to this. And I'm thinking, why are you a pastor? A pastor should stand up and say, I got good news, church. The Muslims are building a cemetery in our backyard. That means more Muslims will come and we can share the gospel. And you know what, another pastor was hearted. And he called a town meeting, and he brought Afshin Ziafat in. That was very interesting, to walk into that town hall meeting and share my story about being a refugee, essentially, coming into this world, in America, leaving Iran during the hostage uh, the revolution, and coming here, and during the hostage crisis, having so many people turn against us. But one Christian lady loved me, poured herself into me, and gave me a Bible and the Syrian refugee crisis, and I know it's been all in the news, and I'm not here to make a political statement. I'll let the president and the government decide the borders and all that, but I'm just saying, at the heart of a Christian should not be first and foremost my safety. Yes, I want the government to vet who comes in, and yes, I want to be the government to keep me safe. Of course, I want that, but I'm just saying, as a Christian, my number one thing shouldn't be what's gonna keep me safe and extend my days. As a Christian, I should say, I'm here for a limited amount of time to see the gospel advance, the kingdom advance, and I don't want, the the goal of a Christian isn't to extend his days by all means, but to spend every day God gives him on this mission. Acts 20, 24, uh, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know suffering and affliction await me, but I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself but only that I finish the course of the ministry God has given me to preach the gospel. Paul is saying, I know if I go here, suffering is coming. Jesus tells Peter, I know I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm gonna suffer and die. But again, what Paul is saying is he, under, he anticipates them thinking then why would you go to Jerusalem? And so he says to them, but you don't understand, there's something more important to me than even my life and it's my mission. That's the way kingdom, look at me, guys. That's the way kingdom subjects, kingdom of God subjects live. They say it's not about me and my comfort and the American dream and my safety, but it's about the kingdom of God going out. And so listen to me, and I'm gonna close with this. That's the way, the same way the victory was won for us, is the same way that we see the gospel advance. Listen to me, not by fleeing. This shall never happen to you, Jesus. Don't go to Jerusalem. No, 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 I'm supposed to go there. That's why I came. Jesus already said, John 16, people are going to bring you up before the rulers and some will even kill you thinking they're doing a service to God. The disciples should have known. He didn't promise them safety, but he promised that he'd be with them and the gospel would advance through them. So listen to me, not fleeing and not fighting. He says, don't take up the sword. To to Peter. And I'm saying a Christian who wants to see the gospel advance, doesn't, his strategy isn't fleeing. It's not flight or fight, but it's faith. Faith in God. Faith that God has a great plan. Faith that God is better than whatever the world may take from me. Faith that God will use me. And they step out, even if it may cost them. I'll close with this story. Farshid said he spent 361 days in prison, uh, excuse me, five years in prison, the first 361 days in solitary confinement. When he was released, solitary confinement was so bad that going to the regular prison was like going to heaven for him. And this is what happens. There's a Muslim man that was just released out of solitary confinement. He was accused of being a spy towards the Iranian government. And this Muslim man finds out that Farshid is a Christian. Look at me, guys. And he comes into the bathroom and he sees Farshid. And he walks over to him, the Muslim man, and he says to Farshid, ours is dead, but I've heard that yours is alive. And Farshid, listen, and Farshid, listen, Farshid's sitting there going, what, what what do you want? And he said, will you pray for me? And Farshid's thinking, what if this is a trap? I've just been let out of 361 days of solitary confinement. What if this is a trap, and if I pray for this brother, if I preach to him, they're gonna throw me right back in. And so everything in his flesh says, no. Safety, comfort, fight or flight. But faith moves him, and he says, why do you want me to pray for you, brother? And he says, I've been praying to Allah all this time. I gotta get out of here. I can't handle it anymore, and Allah isn't answering me. So I heard your God is alive, so would you pray for me? So Fashid pulls him away from the camera and prays for the brother. And the next day, this guy tackles Fashid, And with joy and tears streaming down his face, he said, they reviewed my case and they're letting me go in two weeks. And he said, your God is alive. And I tell you, when you know that you have a king who is alive, isn't promising safety and comfort, but is promising to use you. You take risks. You step out because ultimately the mission of God to advance the kingdom is your number one drive. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you have come as king to vanquish our enemy through the sacrifice of the cross, laying your life down for us. God, may we be a people who listen to your voice, who let you call the shots in her life and follow you. May we be a people who pursue the kingdom in our own personal life. Not just doctrine in our head, that's very important, but God, the kingdom in our heart and in our lives And God, may we be a people who sacrificially in faith lay our life down to see the kingdom advance. We love you. In Christ's name we pray.
0: Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, We hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for his glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.